And I don't think it's like Skype where it takes it like a couple of minutes to catch up and be like, oh yeah, we're recording. So I think we're just recording. Yes. Oh my God, look at us go. Look at us. Look at us go. Just, this, we're really doing it. This big blind cat right here. Uh, so yeah, so is he actually blind? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Because there's glaucoma and stuff? Yeah, he's getting cataracts too. Um, and he's Good. big time blind. Like it takes him, it takes him like about two minutes to figure out a path to jump off of the couch now. <laughs> and he walks around with all of his claws out all the time. <sighs> As like, oh, like good. he's just like constantly kind of second guessing his footing. So he just like has claws out always, just in case. Poor guy. Yeah, I mean he's fine. He's like eating and drinking and like, I mean, Evan yesterday was like literally wrestling with him. Like he's the same. He's fine. Mm -hmm. He's just also yeah. now blind. So, oh, buddy. Yeah, yeah. We discovered a new trigger for Valkyrie on accident. We were like playing with her last night and Trevor did this dramatic exit from the room and meant to like swiftly pull the door behind him, but it accidentally slammed. And apparently that was She's not into that. Not not good. Like she came and sat like on my armpit shoulder area and just <laughs> shook for like fifteen minutes and I couldn't get her to oh. stop shaking. And I was like, You're okay, I love you, you're fine. It was an accident. <laughs> Or so, no more of that. Yeah. No, we're just learning as we go. Yeah, we uh, we were laughing because Greg, you know, went, he, he got significantly blinder in a very short amount of time. So then he's like kind of having to figure out how to be blind. And like everything that I've read, like most cats that go blind, if it happens gradually, like they don't even really notice because their other senses just kind of kick in. But if it mm -hmm. happens quickly, they were like, yeah, like you might notice your cat being an asshole or like being super clingy. And it's just because like they're blind now. So they're they're learning a new way yeah, of they're life. Trying to figure out how to how to be blind. And Evan and I were laughing that we're going to have to figure out how to have a blind cat because like so many things that we've like never even thought twice about, like Evan vacuumed yesterday and Greg was in the living room. Mm. And normally Greg hates the vacuum, but like knows how to avoid it but right. not when he's blind so he just fucking right. took off running and like ran into our table and like bounced no, off of the chair buddy. like we were like oh no. no oh no so yeah he's gotta gotta figure out how to hmm. how to have a little blind poor, cat poor guy yeah how old is he now we're guessing like 11 but he's worn out today because we look at Look at how fucking cute this cat is. I, I have to admit, he's really cute. Look at Look how at cute this face. cat is. Oh my Look god. At face. Um, we had to take him into the vet this morning for a, like a checkup because last week is when they had to put needles in his eyes to like drain the pressure, which like no thank you. Wow, big yikes. Yeah, uh, but they said that he's doing doing fine. So he reassured us that it's not any secondary disease or illness or whatever. Right. It's just, he's going blind. So also um, real quick, look at, look at how this cat is laying. <laughs> That's how I would lay on top of that chair. If I could lay on top of that chair. My goodness. Just, 
just full on. It's so much. Wow. Wow. I love wow. It. They're just all, they're just so cute. Both of these guys are so cute. Super cute. Oh, hi. Move closer. Let's see if she'll come over. My last class for my monologue class, she came over, decided to sit between me and the camera. And then just like was looking around at all the little squares of people. <laughs> just having a time until my teacher was like hey valkyrie how's it going i was like i'm so sorry <laughs> she's so cute she was just watching the little square tv god pets are the best they're the best we just got um, back from the park and there was like a puppy like little fuzzball and you could tell it's like he hasn't worn a harness very many times Cause he would take a few steps and then he would stop and like scratch under his harness. And be like, what, what is, why is all of this? Yeah. Oh my God. He was so cute. He didn't even really like play, play much. He was just like, what's that? What's over here? And then I pet him and he was like, well, that's the best. What else oh. can happen? He was so cute. God, I want a I dog want, so bad. I want so many puppies. <laughs> I want a dog so bad, but this guy. Right. Hates him. Yeah. Introduce him to something he hates whilst he's blind. Now that he's blind. I told Evan, I was like, maybe now we could get a dog because it wouldn't matter what size it was because it wouldn't scare him. <laughs> he wouldn't True. be able to tell. So True. He wouldn't know. We could get a big ass dog that has like a little tiny, like, bark, bark, you know? You would need, you would need a dog like Valkyrie that's kind of scared of cats. Yeah. Because she'll only just like <laughs> the slightest little nudge and then be like, ah! Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how Tiny would do with a dog either. I think that probably would spook her a lot. Oh. Beautiful. Oh. Beautiful. Which one is this? Um, the rock, paper, citrus. Ooh, delicious. Yeah. I've got me a cold open Hellas. Yum. Got them labels on there. Yum. Um, yeah, we uh, got Mrs. Tooth last night because Lizzie and Dirks came over and we watched Godzilla versus Kong. I saw. That Twitter discussion was a great time to read this morning. Oh, buddy. Um, <laughs> Godzilla versus Kong. Have you Give seen it? Give us a review. No. Taylor, no. Do you have any interest in seeing it? Maybe, but even if I did, I wouldn't care. So. Spoil things. So the first Godzilla really? movie is a great time. And then Kong first Skull Island. ever? No, no. The okay. first new one is a great time. Okay. Uh, it's batshit crazy. Sure. Start to finish. But there's a lot of monster fights. It's great. It's all that you need from a monster movie. Right? Is it like, crazier than uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson gorilla movie um it's definitely more coherent than that movie <laughs> okay um, but it's i mean it's the perfect monster movie because it's like it's like a little dash of plot of like hey these people are in this place for this reason and then it's Here's just some context that's sure. all it is it's just monsters it's great you don't need more than that for a great monster movie um okay. and then kong skull island is genuinely a great movie like you would love that movie if you have not already seen it I have not seen it. It's excellent. It's hilarious. It's great. And it's got a shitload of big monsters, right? Which, like, great. Dynamite. Sign me up. All the time, sign me up for every single version of it. <laughs> um, 
Um, and then, so then Godzilla 2, I was very hyped for because it's got more monsters that Godzilla fights. Is that, right? Is that this one? No, 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 no. no. This is, this is just Godzilla 2. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's the one that introduces like Millie Bobby Brown and like Kyle Chandler and like all of this plot. Get that <laughs> shit out of here. Get that right out of here. I don't give a shit about like their family drama or like what organization they work for. I don't care about any of it. Right. Like I want right. to see Godzilla fight Rodan and the big three-headed monster. Like that's that's all that I want. I want a big, giant, for. beautiful, heavenly moth. Yes, please, to all of that. But like the rest of this garbage, get it out of there. And Got so it. then Godzilla versus Kong, Evan and I have been stoked for for a long time now, right? We were I like, believe it. This is going to be super rad. Like it's going to be a big ass monster fighting a big ass monkey. And it's going to be excellent. What more <laughs> could you want? Like what more could you want? And Great like, question. There was so much fucking plot that didn't make any sense for like no reason at all and then they had so then yeah i mean like mecha godzilla shows up which is great it's great <laughs> big robot godzilla that shoots fucking nukes at godzilla that he then just sure. eats yes please yes please <laughs> i i'll watch godzilla eat radiation all day long in the second one he eats a nuke that has been turned on which question mark i don't know if that's how nukes work <laughs> did you guys turn the nukes off last night before right. you left yeah yeah i turned them off <laughs> just flip the switch yeah. they've been turned on and he eats them and then they blow up inside of him and then he gets extra big blue lasers that he can shoot out of his mouth yes because my sure. dream yeah. that's my dream sure. situation godzilla just shooting big ass nuke lasers out of his mouth okay is the is the dream that you could shoot the blue nuke lasers no i love mouth? i love godzilla he he okay. accidentally smashes towns but he does it trying to keep humanity safe from other big ass monsters sure so anyway it was insanity the whole movie was insanity but the long story short is that we got Moose's Tooth and I got this beer. Right. Uh, That's how it, whoop, all the way around. We did it. We did it. <laughs> I had 1000% forgotten. Yeah. Why? But you know, honestly, if this turned into a monster movie rating podcast where I had seen oh. none of them. Oh. So you gave me a rundown oh. of the plots. <laughs> oh man. Oh, my dream. Well, they, yeah, so in in the second, or in this Godzilla versus Kong, they discovered that, that the Earth is hollow and that there's a, a oh. separate monster planet. I could write that shit, you know? Like, yeah, there's like an extra planet inside and it works because it does. And there's mm -hmm. monsters mm -hmm. here because there are. We don't need to, yes. like, yeah. anyway. If you're looking for good... Like beautiful, it's, I mean, it's a beautiful movie, right? It's cause it's a like multi-million dollar production shit, you know? You did sell me on Skull Island. It's beautiful. Like the whole thing is gorgeous. Um, none of it looks like fake CGI, right? It's all like, it's very mm -hmm. well done. So the monster fights are great. They're awesome to watch, but then they're surrounded by like plot. And like dialogue and stuff like oh the worst don't give it i've 
I've been on a very strong Lord of the Rings kick in quarantine. It's a safe place for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've rewatched the series and the Hobbit series multiple times at this point, And I really have no intention of stopping. Wow. Um, That's dedication. And I was, you know, it's, there's something very comforting about it. I don't know what it is. I'm not questioning it. Okay. Um, but Callie and I were watching one of them and she was asking me various questions because she's only seen it like a couple of times instead of a couple of times in the past few months and many times over the years. I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. And she was asking me questions about like, how could they do that? And I was like, magic. I'm with there's, Callie on this one. There's literally a wizard. They have magic. I don't get it. I don't understand how, like, what's his name? Which one? Uh, the, like, the Dumbledore of, of Lord of the Rings. Gandalf. Okay. Gandalf. When he's, like, stuck up on the tall tower thing, and then he, like, yeah. whispers to a little moth, and then, like, it brings a bunch yeah. of big old birds. And I was like, yeah. how does this, how can he talk to this moth? And Evan was like, oh, because they've, like, like, you know, in one of these other books, he's got, like, an agreement because he, like, saved the eagles one time. And so then, like, they know to just, like, come and get him. And I was like... Like these specific eagles? Are there more eagles? Can he speak eagle? How does he? The moth can speak Gandalf, but, but then also the eagles. Like Monster Core Planet, you don't mind? What? Oh, I do is... very much mind. That's what I'm saying. I do mind. I don't need any of this plot. I just want to watch big ass monsters smash into each other and then smash into buildings. But Lord of the Rings confuses me. Start to finish, the whole thing confuses me. Yeah interesting yeah hmm yeah what a what an enigma you are thank you yeah and what a kickoff to a podcast oh my goodness yeah. might i say welcome to babetown <laughs> welcome to babetown being presented today from hollow earth oh man that's a good time yeah um well, we've already covered what we're drinking. We have. So we have I guess, do you want to do this shit? Let's do this shit. What year was your babe birthed into this world? Ugh. This uh, outer planet that surrounds an stop inner... Stop this. <laughs> <laughs> um, my babe was born in 1906. <laughs> my babe was born in 1905. Oh, man. <laughs> I One of these days, finally... it's... I thought we were finally going to have. May I ask a quick question? Yes. Before I tell you my story. What's hydration station? Oh, it's my bullet journal. So it's my like, am I drinking enough water? Nice. If I finish this behemoth and another one, (laughs) then I can check off today as tons of water. Anyway. Nice. All right. Taylor. Yes. Have you heard? Do you know? of Anna Mae Wong. Mm, she's, I know that, I know that name, mm-hmm. but I don't remember anything about it, but I remember <laughs> reading like a little synopsis and being like, oh, cool. Mark this back in my like, yeah, babe brain. Someone shared it recently, I think on Instagram and I screenshotted it and was like doing that. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, All right, Anime Wong, here we go. Right. 
So she was born Wang Lutsong, which means Willow Frost, which I find beautiful. Cute. On January 3rd, 1905 in LA. Okay. So she was born one block north of Chinatown. She was the second of seven or eight kids, depending on where you look. A working class family and their neighborhood was filled with immigrants from China, Ireland, Germany, and Japan. Wow. So what cool. a mix. So cool. I'm so into that. I know. Her grandfather had moved to the U.S. and opened a store near where gold was found. And then her father owned a laundromat with her mom. So they were just like, you know, moving in for the American dream and, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. They went to a mixed elementary school, but unfortunately were were bullied due to their race. So they eventually moved the kids to a Chinese mission school in Chinatown where they were obviously welcomed. Um, Which... Reading about, it's so weird to consider bullying as an adult. You know, like, school is hard enough, just inherently, to get up early every day, go sit in the same classes, and try to learn with all these other kids that are attempting to fit in. And then on top of that, you're going to have people mock you yeah, for whatever imagined bullshit. I mean... Yeah. Bullying is the worst. Anyway. So, Anna grew up working at the laundromat, but sometimes she would skip school and she would use her lunch money to go to the movies because the movies were her escape. And in the 1910s, they moved the basis of film from New York to LA. Mm -hmm. And so she would go visit the movie sets whenever she could. And she said she'd get as close to the camera as she dared. And so I just like, she's Amazing. just like sidling up. Um, <laughs> when she was nine, she decided she was going to be an actor. I feel you. I get it. Um, and by the time, by the time she was 11, she came up with her stage name, which was a mixture of her Chinese and American names, Anna Mei Wong. So a casting call went out for Chinese women for a film called the red lantern. And her dad was like, you're not going to be in movies. Absolutely not. Blah, blah, blah. She was like, I hear you. But one of his friends was an assistant director. And so behind her dad's back, she went to him and was like, hey, buddy. So she got cast as an extra who carried a lantern. And it was her first role. She was a teenager. She continued working as an extra throughout high school. And then in 1921, she landed a larger role, dropped out of school to be an actor full time which this is still like early high school. By the time she was 17, she had her first lead in a movie. Dang. Like she's killing it. It was called The Toll of the Sea. It was a silent film version of Madame Butterfly. And it was one of the first movies to be made in Technicolor. She's 17. Wow. Like crazy. Um, But her breakout role was when she was 19. There was this movie called The Thief of Baghdad. Unfortunately, it mainly brought her attention because she was wearing like a bandeau and a mini skirt that looked like they were just made out of like silk scarves. Yeah. And she was cast as I think like the character name is Mongol slave girl. So not ideal. Yeah. And obviously perpetuating the idea of like Asian seductress stereotypes, but she kept getting cast in like subservient and 
sensual type roles. Mm -hmm. And a huge part of that is because there was a fucking law in the United States at the time that prevented interracial marriage, which therefore restricted interracial kisses on screen. Wow. Deeply upsetting. Wow. I, I, so side note about that. I read recently, I have no idea how true this is, that there was an interracial kiss on Star Trek. Yep. This is, did you see that? This is factual. Yeah. This is, yeah. That they were going to film a kiss version and a non-kiss version. And so they purposely flubbed all of the non-kiss takes so that they had to, I love that. Yeah. It's really good. Oh, I love that so much. It was the first Um, interracial kiss aired. Was it the first? I knew it was one of the first. I didn't realize it was the first. Yeah. Oh, good for them. I love it. Um, yeah. So because of all of this racism, um, she was automatically out of the running for any role that had any film that had a lead white man because he couldn't have a lead Asian woman. So to top all of this off. The really cool thing about that too is that they would never cast the leading lady first. Right. It'll always be off of whichever dude they cast. Which it gets worse if the script called for a Asian woman lead, they would cast a white woman and then put her in quote yellow face. And so they would purposely slant their (sighs) eyes and eyebrows. Right, right. So, like, I just don't, I just don't understand any part of that because, like, why? What, what is the point of that when you have actual, like, actors of actor, that race, like, like, of that ethnicity? What is the point of going through the effort to not, uh, I don't because get it. racism. Because racism. I mean, yeah, because I guess that's a good somehow, sign, but I don't get it, right? But I mean, like, the idea that's so deeply ingrained that you could think that white people are inherently better yeah. at everything, including yeah. being other ethnicities. Yeah. What? Yeah, it's, it's real fucked real fucked and it's still happening yeah anyway yeah so to counteract all of that hot garbage anna made her own production company in 1924 by the way she's 19 at this point yeah normal Um, 19 year old things yes but she was like listen i'm gonna produce movies about my culture and my perspective and everybody else can deal with it Unfortunately, it didn't last terribly long. It was shut down not long after that because her business partner, it came to light that they were in like some bad business practices. I don't know what they are, but it was like, you know, they were discovered and so it shut down. Yeah. Um, So after a bunch of years of discrimination, she moved to Europe because why wouldn't you, you know? It's really sad. It's really sad how many of these stories that happens in because like that, that is, I mean, it's the same, it's the same idea of like, of like Alaska shutting down its colleges, right? Of like, okay, well then all of those people are not going to be in Alaska anymore. Like all of these like really- You will lose your arts. 
as a whole. Like, that's what's yeah. going to happen. Uh, yeah. Uh. Um, so she said about leaving, quote, I was so tired of the parts I had to play. Why is it that the screen Chinese is nearly always the villain of the piece and so cruel a villain, murderous, treacherous, a snake in the grass? We are not like that. So yeah. 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 And then she got to Europe and her career took off. Good. She was in plays, she was in movies, she was in her first talking film. She was in films in Paris, Berlin, and London. She performed an entire opera in German. Like, she, she just is talent. Yeah. So in the 30s, Hollywood was like, oh, we fucked up. And so they contacted her to try and get her back. And they're like, we promise we'll give you lead roles. You'll, you'll be the lead in everything. You know whatever. So she comes back and she immediately stars in a Broadway production of On the Spot. But then unfortunately in 1930, her mother was hit by a car in front of their home and passed away. Oh, geez. Her family stayed in that house for a few more years, oh. which has got to be so brutal. Hard. Hard. Yeah. How? But in 1934, her family moved to China. So then enter the film, The Good Earth. The characters in The Good Earth are almost all Asian. The actors in The Good mm -hmm. Earth are almost all white people. I'm shocked. Every lead character is played by a non-Asian actor. And then like the side characters are, Asian, are actual Asian actors. So they wanted her to screen test for a concubine character. And she was like, sure, I'll do the test, but I will not play the part. I'll play the lead. Yeah. You can give me the lead or I'm not gonna do the show, the movie. Uh, instead, they cast a German actress as the lead and made her quote, look Chinese. Uh, they offered wow. Anna the role of the concubine. She refused. And the German actress won the Oscar for best actress. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like when they were talking about doing the movie, rumors were that Anna was going to be the lead. Like yeah. she's super well known. She's killing it. So everybody's talking about how, nope, we're just going to cast this German woman instead. Wow. It's like, uh, I don't even want to know what the script and the dialect. I just. Yeah. Yeah. Guaranteed every single part of that movie was brutal. Deeply offensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so other than promising her tons of lead roles, she kept being cast as stereotypical Asian characters, usually either like the dragon lady or a seductress. There's a podcast that talks about her and it's like, she died on screen so many times Wow! because they cast her as this evil, you know, yeah, literally dragon lady. It got to the point that one time she was asked to portray Japanese mannerisms and she was like, listen, you can fuck directly off. Thank you. But, yeah. I will what? not be. Yeah. Um, so she was in this movie called Shanghai Express where she played opposite Marlene Dietrich. And apparently their chemistry was so good. People were like, well, clearly they're lesbians. <laughs> um, which I didn't realize Shanghai Express. So you know the photo of Marlene 
where she's kind of looking up and there's a dramatic light down on her and she's got her hand on and a cigarette right here. That's yep. from Shanghai Express. Marlene Dietrich really has been on my list of babes right. for a long uh, yeah. time. Yeah. As soon as I came across that, I was like, we have to cover her. Yeah. She's been on my list eyebrows. for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's from Shanghai Express. I really want to watch it now just to watch their scenes together and be like, yeah, really there's something going on. Here. <laughs> um, so after Shanghai Express, she spent some time touring China, which unfortunately, once she got there, she faced backlash because people there were mad at her for perpetuating harmful tropes of Asian women being objectified as exotic and oh. sexualized. And yeah, like, oh, just, I hate when... It's not true in all cases, but it's frustrating for me when actors get blamed for roles. Yes, there are some cases where people can refuse. There are some cases where it's inappropriate, what have you. But a lot of times it's not up to them, you know? Yeah, but to a certain point, Evan and I were actually just talking about this, I think yesterday, with Scarlett Johansson taking... Well, okay, Scarlett Johansson, yes. And and he was like, at a certain point, though, isn't that up to the casting directors? And I was like, totally, there are a lot of people that are at fault for this, but also, like, it's not like she is an actor that has to take whatever role. It's not like she's not even auditioning for things. Like, she's... Like, Scarlett Johansson, there is no excuse. Yeah. She doesn't have to audition. But for a lot of people, until they get to that level, it's take what you can get. You're lucky you're even getting offered that... Like, so I'm in, um, I'm going to try and do this without many spoilers or any spoilers in, um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Okay. There's a plot point where they basically the United States cast a new Captain America. Okay. And so like in the writing, you're, you hate him, right? Yeah. But apparently a lot of people are um, harassing the actor who is cast in this role. Like, okay. you'll never be Captain America, you, you know, whatever. It's like, oh my guys, guys. Yeah. Well, and especially like, in, especially like in her case, like the only roles that she is being offered are these roles. And, right, and she's fighting for it, and she's clearly good right. enough, and they're just like, mm, no. Right, so it's, yeah, that's a real, like, rock and a hard place situation, because, like, it's not like the people that were telling her that that's harmful are wrong, but it's not her fault that those movies were right. being made. Right. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree with you. There are a lot of actors that have plenty of say yeah. over the roles that they play, but lesser known and lesser sought after, I guess, Mm -hmm. actors, Um, specifically actors of color. I feel like there's not really a lot of. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that that's, I think that's kind of like a different situation too, you know, of like, of like the availability of roles versus Mm -hmm. being able to, being able to be in Scarlett Johansson's situation where you're being offered roles that you shouldn't be being offered, you know? So yeah, that 
is, yeah. But like there was a article this week about um, one of the women who is cast as one of the servers at Benihana in the office. Yeah. Yeah. I read that too. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, yeah. And very similar to this where like, right. There wasn't, you know, she's a struggling actor, so she's going to take right. that part, even though she doesn't feel great about it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so she toured China. She returned to the U.S. in the 1950s and became the first Asian American person, male or female, to lead, excuse me, a TV show. It was called The Gallery of Madame Lu Tsong. And she starred as a gallery owner and a detective. Fun. Oh my God, fun. I know. Gallery uh, she was slash detective. Slash detective. I love it. She was planning on returning to film work, but on February 3rd, 1961, she had a heart attack and oh. she died. She wow. She was 56. That's yeah. so young. I know. Uh, after her death, the Asian American Arts Awards and the Asian Fashion Designers Group named various awards after her. Um, and that is the story of Anna Mae Wong, the first Asian American movie star. Wow. Right? That's great. I've never even heard of her. I mean, aside from like, like, oh, I need to remember I, her for Babetown. <laughs> I think you've seen photos of her. Probably. I think yeah. you would recognize photos of her. Um, apparently the Netflix show Hollywood is trying to like show how talented and powerful of an actor she was. Um, but I watched the first episode. She wasn't in it, but it's not really for me. So if anybody watches the show Hollywood and wants to let us know about the portrayal of Anna Mae Wong, that'd be dope. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, good work. That was a great time. Thanks. Thanks. To Source Michiette. Oh, there's also a book about her called Perpetually Cool, The Many Lives of Anna Mae Wong. A great book. Uh, such a great, yeah. Um, yeah, so, to Source Michiette. Uh, IMDb, Wikipedia, womenshistory.org, PBS, uh, an article on Harper's Bazaar by Erica Gonzalez, and a podcast episode on mobituaries where this guy mo rocca interviews various people about various famous obituaries uh it's called anime wong death of a trailblazer and he interviews margaret cho rosalind chow author lisa c and historian shirley Lim. it's really good wow that sounds great it's really good um if you want to know more very well researched and professional and you know that sounds great. If, that's, if you're into that sort of thing. If you're into that. <laughs> Good work. All right. Thanks, friend. You're up. Um, I'm going to sit back and drink my beer. Uh, yeah. Get excited because I am so deeply to my core obsessed with this lady. Um, Yay. This one's probably going to be a little long because there's so much information about her. Do it. Um, and it's handwritten, so we'll get some nice uh, yes. R stuff. Reagan. Taylor. Have you ever heard of Virginia Hall? Yes, yeah. she's on my list. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be good. How much do you know about her? Uh, the, the basic, like, 
quick bio so that I put her on my list. Not like I didn't do the in-depth yet. Good. Great. Okay. I'm going to go delete her from my list. So Virginia Hall was born mm -hmm. April 6th, 1906. Her dad was Edwin. Her mom was Barbara, which like two of the cutest names to exist. Um, they were a wealthy banking family. So like they were set, right? She grew up in Baltimore. She attended Roland Park County School and then Radcliffe College and Barnard College, which I guess later became Columbia. So she was like bouncing all over the place. Um, she studied Italian, German, and French. Afterwards, she went to George Washington University where she studied French and econ. Good grief. Genius. Um, Seriously. So she wants to finish her education in Europe. She didn't graduate from any of those places. So she travels to Paris to study. And then while she's there, she realizes that like France is like her calling. Mm -hmm. So she just mm -hmm. falls in love with France. So um, while she's in France, she decides that she wants to be a diplomat. So she gets a clerical position at the US embassy in Poland. Um, and then she started applying to the State Department over and over and over and over, but kept getting turned away because surprise, she's a lady. So they were like, no, thank you. We don't need you. Um, no, thank you. None today, please. And she was like, that's great. I'm going to keep applying. So she just like keeps sending in applications. Yes. Um, at that point, there were 1500 staffers in the foreign service and only six of them were women. Can you imagine? So it's like also like a little bit crazy to me that she had such a hard time getting into the foreign service because she spoke so many languages. Like you would think yeah, but, that would be. But as a woman, an she probably, she probably spoke them like really femininely. So. Oh God, so stupid. Um, yeah. So 1933, she's on a hunting trip in Turkey. She's 27. Sure. And she trips over a wire that's, attached to like an old fence and when she tripped her gun went off and shot her in the leg so she had to get her left leg amputated below the knee cool um she was fitted with a prosthetic leg which she named cuthbert <laughs> and had a pronounced limp for the rest of her life and apparently after she had her leg amputated instead of like instead of it like sending her into a depression, which I feel like mm -hmm. would be very understandable, it instead yeah. like sent her in the other direction where she was like, well, shit, like anything can happen at any time. So I got to double down. So she just keeps applying to the State Department, like even yes. more aggressively after she loses her leg. Um, she, they keep rejecting her now because also she's an amputee and a woman. So like- Listen, she's, she's a package deal. She is- both honestly. Virginia and Cuthbert. Honestly. Um, so in 1939, hint, hint, 1939, she resigns right. from her job at the American Embassy in Estonia. Um, 1940, she volunteers because she can't get a job, right, at the State Department. So she's like, all right, fine. So she goes back to France where they are gearing up for the Nazi invasion and they're like, yeah, fuck, we'll take anybody. Like, right, right. We need help. It doesn't matter who you are. Help us out. So she volunteers to drive ambulances for the French army during the invasion. So she's like on the front lines, like right at the get go. So when France falls, um, she flees to Britain because she's determined to still be helping out. Hint, hint. Um, 
she is at this party. Okay, so she's on her way to Britain from France. And as we've already talked about in other episodes, during World War II, you had to go through Spain because otherwise you were like getting into Nazi land, right? Right. So um, on her way to London, she is at a Spanish train station and is having a conversation with somebody, just some random person. And that person ends up revealing to her that they are an undercover agent for the British army. And they're like, hey, listen, you seem like you really, really, really hate Nazis. And that's exactly the kind of people that we need. So like, go hit up my friend in London. So he sends uh, her, go meet a friend in London. So she I'm gets obsessed. to London. Sorry, I'm obsessed with the idea of this woman with a pronounced limp, just walking just around wait. the train station being like, fuck Nazis, man. Just wait. Just Sorry, continue, continue. So she, so she gets to London. She meets up with this friend. The friend is like, come to this cocktail party with me. It'll be rad. And she's like, great. That sounds great. So they get to this cocktail party and Virginia is said to have been, quote, railing against Hitler. <laughs> she's just yes. at some party talking loud ah. shit about Hitler. <laughs> so as she's doing that, some lady comes up to her and like, quietly says to her, if you're really interested in stopping Hitler, come and see me and gives her a business card. And this lady ends up being Vera Atkins, dibs, by the way, um, who is thought to be the inspiration for Miss Moneypenny in Ian Fleming's James Bond. Amazing. She was one of the main recruiters for Churchill's special operations executive, the SOE. Yes, the SOE. We're back. I love that she's just like at some party being like, man, you know who sucks shit? Hitler. <laughs> Hitler and another sucks. thing. <laughs> so uh, um I what if what if somebody was like, you wanna fight? And she whipped off Cuthbert and just wailed on him. I would not put it past her at all. No, not at all. Zero not at percent. All. Um <laughs> also I don't know where he went. Um we're supposed to be calling people at seven, but that's in 20 minutes and we're on the first page of this lady. So it's gonna be late. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so we're right at the start of the war, right? So sure. since we're at the start of the war, we're also at the start of the SOE. So the SOE is not yet what we at Babetown know the SOE to be. They are okay. super anti-having ladies. This is how Whoa. early into the SOE we are. Um, top brass were not into hiring women at all for all of the same reasons that you always hear, but they're especially not into hiring foreign women, which she's American. So, um, what year is this? This is like, this is like 1940. Okay. Carry on. Um, so they spent the, the SOE as it originally was spent six months trying to break into France but were unable to successfully infiltrate any agent into France because they kept trying dudes. They kept trying dudes. Those poor, incredibly conspicuous dudes. Oh my God. So um, the next time that she volunteered, they had had, they had been doing this for six months. And so they were like, fine, sure. Like you can try it. Good fucking luck. Right. And then she nailed it. Like, of course she did. Amazing. 
So she's uh, one of the first SOE officers to be dispatched from London and was, quote, amazingly successful. So she posed as a reporter for the New York Post. For an entire year, she was their only female operative. So Virginia Hall was the first female SOE agent. Dude. Amazing. Um, so she works mostly in Lyon, France. She goes around befriending basically everyone and anybody that she could find. Like her yes. whole thing was getting recruits for the allies. So she um, stayed for a while at a convent with nuns. She becomes friends with a brothel owner to gather information that French sex workers were gaining from German soldiers. Like she's just like putting out little birds everywhere. Ugh. Hey, tell me your things, tell me your secrets. Um, so she is gathering French resistance fighters. She's establishing safe houses. She organized information drops. Think like Eileen Nearn, but the original version of it. Like she was. Yes, I was. Yeah. Yeah. She was doing the same kind of thing where she was like sending coded messages through the BBC and then they would broadcast it. Um, so this is from, this is a quote from Judith Pearson, who's an author who wrote The Wolves at the Door, The True Story of America's Greatest Female Spy. Want to read that? Um, yes. She says, quote, Hall would put a pot of geranium in her window when there was a pickup to be made, and then the pickup would be a message behind a loose brick in a particular wall, or it might be go to a certain cafe, and if there's a message, the bartender would give you a glass with something stuck to the bottom of it. Like, uh, like spy shit. Like the spyest spy shit that they're ever spies. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so obviously with all this work that she's doing, like she's all over the place. Um, it doesn't take long for the Germans in Lyon to like notice that something's up. So the most that they could ever figure out though, because she had so many code names and was so good at disguising herself, the most that they could ever figure out was that she was a woman who walked with a limp. So they called her the limping lady, but they never were able to get any more information than that. Um, she had so many code names and disguises. Sonia Purnell, Purnell, who wrote A Woman of No Importance, another book that I really want to read, <sighs> said she could be four different women in the, in the space of an afternoon with four different code names. Like Sonia Purnell talks about how writing her book, it was really, really hard because it was hard to research because she would catch like, she would hear like a story of some lady in France and then have to be like, wait a minute, is that Virginia Hall? Like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's one of her code names and just had to piece together code names because she had so many of them. Like she was thought to have like 25 different yes. code names and personas that she had like throughout everywhere. What was the name of that book? Um, A Woman of No Importance. And the other one was Wolves at the Door? Uh, Wolves at the Door, the true story of America's greatest female spy. Yes. Okay. Um, okay, so Klaus Barbie, which kind of funny name, he name. was the main Nazi that was in pursuit of Virginia Hall. So he's like a high ranking Gestapo. Um, he was known as the Butcher of Leon because he would just like torture and murder people. That guy. That guy. Yeah. That guy. So that guy Ugh. was quoted as saying that um, that he would give anything to get his hands on that quote Canadian bitch. She's not Canadian asshole. Ah, she's ah, American. Ah, Dumb Klaus, thing. you're so stupid. So dumb. Um, okay, so 1941, she is getting suspicious. She also, so all in all, she worked in Leon undercover for 13 months. Dude. 
that's, I can't even imagine the like absolute stress all the time. My anxiety for one day would be all the time, like beyond through the roof. I wouldn't be able to sleep. I wouldn't be able to crazy, crazy. Um, I thought he was going to come out and be like, are we calling people still? (laughs) He's no making a shower. He doesn't give a shit. Talking about Um, Virginia (laughs) Hall. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, so 1941, she's getting kind of suspicious, right? Because she can sense that the Germans are like closing in, right? They know that she's in Leon. They've kind of pinpointed her to there, but they can't get any more. So, um, there is a meeting of SOA agents that's happening in Marseille. And she's like, I don't think I'm going to go to that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, not into that. And, um, she had good instincts cause it was raided and 12 agents were arrested. So then she's kind of like, okay, well, shit, because now she knows that they're, like, hot on her tail. So mm-hmm. 1942, Klaus Barbie and the Gestapo put up wanted posters everywhere in Lyon for the limping lady. Have you seen a woman limping? Right. And so she's like, oh, cool, 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 cool. That's definitely not me and my fucking wooden leg. Don't mind me. It's fine. Everything's fine. So she is like, okay, well, I guess I have to leave France. So um, the only way that she could get out of France was a 50-mile, three-day-long trek over the Pyrenees Mountains into Spain in November with a wooden leg. No. Oh, my goodness. The guides initially refused to take her because she was a woman, A, and B, because she was an amputee. And she was like, that's all great, but I don't really have a choice. So like, this is have yeah. to take me like, this is not an option. There's not, I don't have any other choice. So she finally, um, they do the trek. She makes it to a safe house in the mountains. She radios back to London telling her superiors that she's okay, but that Cuthbert was acting up. Her superiors then radioed back totally serious, not in on the joke quote, if Cuthbert is giving you difficulty, have him eliminated. <laughs> I love that they thought that he was just like some asshole that she was dealing with and it's just her leg. I love the sense of humor is yeah excellent. Um, okay, so ultimately she spends 13 months in France for the SOE. She makes it out to Spain, makes it back to London. Um, well, when she got to Spain, she was arrested because she didn't have a stamp in her passport because she was fleeing. And I'm sure that Spain was arresting anybody who was even like marginally suspicious because like Mm -hmm. it's world war ii um so she spent six weeks in custody before finally being released back into england can you hear that she's so nervous is she dreaming she's asleep yeah oh my god (laughs) oh man she's having the time of her life in her dream her little like mohawk is up like her little her little back hairs yeah also her head is on my pillow just (laughs) full on 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 my pillow Um, right, I'm so sorry continue no no Um, so she's finally released back to England Um, she wants to go back to France when she gets back she's like "All right, cool send me in coach like i'm ready already and they're like listen bro like you just got out safely like just like six weeks ago so like maybe let's cool it a little bit um so the soe is like no way it's way too risky to send you back 
Um, so she's like, all right, cool. I guess I'm not working for the SOE anymore. I'm going to go work for the OSS, the Office of Strat Strategic Services that the Americans are setting up. So she jumps over to the Americans. They are just as hesitant about putting a woman in the field. So they team her up um, as like an administrative assistant to an older dude. And then she ended up like having to do basically the exact same thing where she just like kept applying and kept applying and kept like showing what she could actually do and was actually capable of until they finally were like, all right, well, we don't really have a presence in France. So like, if you want to go, I guess, get after it, like, go for it. So she goes back to France in 1944, this time working with the OSS. It's a few months before D-Day. She rides a British torpedo ship to France, disguised as an, as an old French peasant woman and organized sabotage efforts. So yeah. there's a whole quote that I just took a screenshot of because it's kind of long that is so excellent. Um, Okay, so this is from Sonia Purnell, who wrote A Woman of No Importance. She said, quote, she got some makeup artist to teach her how to draw wrinkles on her face. She also got a fierce, a rather sort of scary London dentist to grind down her lovely white American teeth so that she looked like a French milkmaid. Oh my God. Yeah, she is not fucking around. No, she is not. Not even a little tiny bit. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. So, um, let's see. So in an OSS report, um, quote, Hall's team was credited with derailing freight trains, blowing up four bridges, killing 150 Nazis and capturing 500 more. Like she's just getting shit done. Like doesn't even. So imagine, just imagine if, you know, she keeps applying and applying and applying and applying. How many women are doing that? What if, Dude. They had just hired all of those women at the beginning. Yep. Well, and they talk and, about how um, uh, how Virginia Hall is like kind of credited with single-handedly changing changing the Allies' views of using women for espionage in World War II. Like, because after her, the SOE became mostly like a women's right a women's like espionage group because they realized that Nazis are misogynistic and like, don't think of women as people. So right. they're not even going to notice you. Imagine what we could have done if they had hired a bunch of women from the very beginning. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're going to go back in time a little bit. Um, so remember those 12 agents that were arrested? Mm -hmm. Okay. So she finds out, that they're being held at Mozak prison. This is still when she's working with the SOE. Um, okay. She teams up with Gabby Block, who was one of, who was a wife of one of the prisoners. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out if she was a wife of like one of the agents that had been arrested in that raid, or if she was just a wife of one of the people who was at the prison. I couldn't tell. Sure. Um, sure. But Virginia was too recognizable because she was the limping lady. So she would have Gabby smuggle in shit so that they were able to make a key to the barracks. So they used like old sardine tins and like just random little trinkets to like make a makeshift key so that they could all get out. So on July 15th, 1942, they all escaped and they all eventually made their way using safe houses and helpers that Virginia had set up along the way to a safe house that she had set up in Leon, which is ultimately what made Klaus Barbie 
noticed that she was probably in Lyon. So um, the historian of the SOE, who's somebody named MRD Foote, it was just initials, said this was, quote, one of the war's most useful operations of its kind. And it was all her that did it. I really, I really want a, a sticker. I want a sticker of her with like one side of her dress pulled up so you can see her wooden leg below the knee or whatever it is below the thigh. Yeah. And like snarling so you can see her ground down teeth. Yeah. And just a shirt that's like, you know, who's a piece of shit? Hitler or something. Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> this lady, I mean, on, like every new Ask me about how to stop Hitler. Like, I need to include this, but this will be six hours long if I do, so. Yeah, yeah. She could just be standing there, hand her hip, a little shirt that says, ask me about how to stop Hitler. I want that as a sticker. Yeah. Somebody um, make that for me, please. So there are like a ton of these stories, right? So that's, the, the prison escape is kind of the one that everybody is like, oh yeah, Virginia Hall did that. But there's like tons of them because that's mm -hmm. all that she was doing for over a year. Um, so at its height, her network of resistance fighters had grown to 1,500 people. I don't know if that's only while she was in the OSS or only if she was in the SOE or altogether, because she was doing the same thing in both. Either way. Reasons. But either way, that's an insane, that's an insane so cool. number of people. Um, among these people includes a guy named Paul Goyo, who she later marries. So. Aw, hard eyes. Um, so after the war, she's awarded the Distinguished Service Cross. Sorry, I couldn't read my handwriting. For a <laughs> I was like, what does that say? The Get Distinguished Service Cross. Um, and she was the only civilian woman during World War II to receive this award. It's the highest U.S. military honors for bravery in combat. Wow. Also, the fact that she's still considered a civilian after that. Right? I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so Virginia Hall, though, spent so much time undercover and so much time um, keeping everything secret that she maintained that well after the war. Like, like she got a memo from the head of the OSS well after the war saying, okay, now you can talk. Like, we're, we're out of the woods, now you can talk about things. And she just never did. She apparently said that one of the reasons she never talked about it is because she had friends who had talked and then they died. So she was like, nope, not doing this. Like, she's not Dude. gonna talk about it. So, um, so her mother was the only outsider at the ceremony when she received the Distinguished Service Cross. Um, President Truman wanted to honor her at a big White House public ceremony, but she wanted instead to stay undercover. So she just did it with wow. the people awarding her and her mom, that was it. Wow. So um, the OSS, in case you don't know, was the precursor to the CIA. So she then worked at the CIA for 15 years, didn't love it because she was suddenly at a desk. She suddenly was having to deal with being, quote unquote, just a woman in an office setting. So another theme that comes up in a lot of these stories right. is like, yeah, okay, now you're all, your excitement is done. Go back to the accepted and forced gender roles yep from before no 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 yep so she's super 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 well respected um in like intelligence right 
communities, you know, but, but working an office job at the CIA, she then was having to deal with all of these dudes again, who were like, you know, who may, who may or may not have actually worked with her because she was there for 15 years. So I'm sure a lot of it was people who came in that didn't know her, which Can is not imagine? at all excusing it, but I mean, like, like no. they, it just wasn't that built in like respect. It was just, can you imagine some hot child thinking child yeah. coming in mansplaining how he was so heroic in his blah, 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 blah to her. Can you imagine? And she just kept it in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so there's not a ton of information about the end of her life because she was so secretive. Um, most of her close family had no idea she was even involved in World War II. Oh my God. Like she didn't talk about it at all, at all. Um, so she retired from the CIA in 1966. She never once spoke publicly about any of it. And she died July 8th in 1982. She was 76. Um, Dang. So as like a last little thing, there's a really excellent NPR article about this lady. Um, and they interview Sonia Purnell. I don't know why that last name is so hard for me to say. Purnell um, throughout it. And so the last little chunk of that article, Purnell said that it was a challenging piece. It was a challenge piecing together Hall's story. Quote, it was detective work, she said. So many files, papers, documents had been lost, destroyed, or misfiled. She operated under so many different code names that people hadn't really pulled together all the strands. Now the books are on the shelves, the movies are coming, and at the CIA, recruits train in a building recently named the Virginia Hall Expeditionary Center. Dude. And that is the story of SOE and OSS operative Virginia fucking Hall. I'm so excited that the movies are coming. Yeah. Apparently me... Daisy Ridley is booked yes! to play Virginia Hall. Yep. Ugh. Yep. So, to source my shit. Also, I'm really excited to read those books. Yeah, I know. I'm gonna. Holy crap! I'm gonna order at least the Woman of No Importance one because there's a great, well, one of my. So Wikipedia, um, and then that NPR article. They're all just on my phone. So, excuse me while I. Um, the NPR article has a like, it's got like a radio segment to it um and it's called a woman of no importance finally gets her due written by greg meyer there is a time article that is called virginia hall was america's most successful female world war ii spy but she was almost kept from serving written by sonia purnell which is cool mm -hmm. um intelligence.gov has an article about her nice. called the limping lady courageous world war ii resistance organizer there's not an author attributed to it. Um, Smithsonian Magazine has a great time where it's an in-depth interview with Sonia Purnell and she's just talking about, um, she's just talking about like her favorite things that she found out as she researched her, which is excellent. It's a great time. Man, fun. Um, and then, that's a ghost story. <laughs> I'm nothing if not consistent. Um, then the last one is history.com. World War II's most dangerous allied spy was a woman with a wooden leg, written by David Ruse. 
Amazing. And that's Virginia Hall. Dude, good freaking job. Thanks. Ugh. What a Thanks. cool fucking lady. So cool. So, so, so cool. And I love like the, I mean, it's like spy shit through and through. Like the spy yeah. shit is so hilarious to me because it's like movie, you know, it's like, 100%. like the fact that she was yeah. like at a train station and an undercover agent was like, yo, you hate the Nazis? So do we. Come work with us. And Come then like a lady like party. slid her a business card and then like, it's just, yeah. It's just all very behind good. a brick based on the plant and it's under very, the very drink. And... Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good job. Holy crap. Thanks. I am really excited to watch that movie. Yeah. I'm going to order those books like tomorrow. So I'm, yeah. I just want to know every single thing about that lady. If possible. Yeah. Yeah. Who's your, so cool. who's your babe this week? Uh, my babe this week is a sweet, sweet woman named Lisa. I don't know if she would want me to say her last name on here, so I won't. Okay. But uh, she owns the venue that we have officially booked. Yay! For a win. Um, I've been talking to her on and off throughout the week, and I love this woman. It's literally like it's a renovated barn in the middle of nowhere that she and her husband like we're looking for affordable places for their daughter to get married and couldn't find any. And so, so they, they just were like, bought Let's... their own. Yeah. They just like made their own. And yeah. so now she's like started to rent it out to other people. And I'm the first out of town person that's going to do it. Like they, they oh. just started doing this. And so it's very like mom and pop DIY, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it is beautiful. It is so beautiful. I'm so excited to use it. And we had a FaceTime with her today to like show us around the property and show us around the Aww. space and everything. And they're the sweetest freaking people. And like, they're the kind of people that I'm like, I would so much rather give you my money than some company, corporation, totally. whatever. Yeah. Like I would love to give you my dollars Yeah. to, you know, and they're just like, they're bending over backwards for us to just like, and every single question, it's like, whatever you want to do. Sure. Whatever is easier for you. Aww. If you want to, great. Yeah. Whatever you, <sighs> she has made this so easy and so fun. And now like the biggest thing on my to-do list is done. And I feel, I was really worried that like, I'd have to make some compromises or like lose them, but I don't feel like I have, like, I feel like I got everything that I wanted. Good. I love her. She Good. is an angel and I'm so, so excited. So yeah, Lisa, redacted last name. Thank you so much for your barn. Oh, that's great. I'm so stoked. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm really excited. <laughs> <sighs> Getting married. Ooh. Who's your babe? Uh, my babe is, um, Dr. Alan Brightman, cat ophthalmologist. Yeah, it is. <laughs> he's our, he's our, uh, our feline ophthalmologist. He's a traveling cat eye doctor. So he's yeah, got, he he's got like a practice in Wisconsin, I think, and then Texas and Alaska. And 
he bounces between a couple of different clinics up here. And um, so last week we had to take Greg in and they like drained his eyes and he was at, he was at our like normal vet. Um, and his, it's literally like him and his vet tech and then they're like front desk lady and that's their entire practice. It's just three, the three of them. And uh, he was telling us, I called his like front desk lady to like schedule an appointment with, for Greg and, and um, she was like, well, you know, we're actually planning on opening our own clinic in Anchorage because we're having to bounce like all over the place, but that won't be open till the first. Do you think you guys can wait till then? And I was like, I mean, I'm sure he'll be fine till then. This was like, I don't know, the 10th of March or something. And she was like, well, well, would you guys, are you guys nervous about it? I was like, yeah, I mean, we're a little worried about him, but like, I'm he's fine. Like he's eating and drinking and stuff. And she was like, okay, well, we'll be at this clinic on this day. He's got two surgeries, but like, he's willing to squeeze you guys in between those surgeries to like see Greg. And so then um, we had our like follow-up appointment today and we went to their new practice, which they just opened yesterday was their first day open so greg was their first patient at their new practice Buddy. so they all laughed about how they should frame a photo of greg to be their first patient yes. and like she was like i'm so sorry we don't have internet yet so it's all like analog they've got like a big like paper calendar that she was like okay can we schedule you on the it was it's just i just love them so much he like i mean he just like he's the best like he calls you because it's covid right so you can't like go in with them right um, so he like called and like put him on speakerphone and Greg had like a weird reaction to one of the drops, like a little bit of it got in his mouth and he got stressed out and like started foaming at the mouth. And the doctor was like, I don't, I don't think that this tastes bad or anything. Look at this fucking stretching. It's um, just a little stretch. He was, the doctor was like, you know, I don't like, I don't think that this tastes bad or anything. And then we hear him on the phone go, He's like, nope, I tasted it. It tastes fine to me. And I don't taste anything. <laughs> like, he's just, I just love him. He's just this, like, old dude who, like, looks in cats' eyes all the time. So, Amazing. Yeah, it's the best. It makes me feel way better about him because, like, I mean, they, I literally have the, like, personal cell phone numbers of all three of them now. Amazing. Because they're all just like, yeah, just text me if you have questions. It's just so, it's That's very exactly nice. what you want in a vid. It's, it's very, very nice. Yeah. They, there's, there's none of this. I asked him today. I was like, so like, how blind do you think Greg is? And he's like, I don't know. You tell me, is he running into couches? And I was like, yeah. And he was yeah. like, ah, I think probably pretty blind then. I don't know if you have like a, like a <laughs> special tool or something. I don't know. And then he's nope. like, he's like, well, like, I don't know, let's take him for a road test. Take him off that table. So he just like stuck him on the ground and like let him walk around. Like he like walked into the door and he was like, yeah, he's probably pretty blind. <laughs> like, I just love him. Oh. I love him. He's just funny and like this crotchety old man who just like loves pets. And it's just like, I mean, he's not going to be like, oh, well, you know, like whatever you, he's like, no, it's, yeah, he's blind. He looks like he's blind. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's great. Oh. It's really, really good. So shout out to Alan and the whole team at Veterinary Eyes is the name of their practice. If you guys, for all of your uh, feline ophthalmology needs. Yes. There's a, a place a in Anchorage that now does that. Yeah. So. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Road test. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it made me laugh a lot. And then he, like, immediately walked into a door. 
It's like, well, okay. It's probably pretty it's blind. Pretty blind. Pretty <laughs> blind. Uh, yeah. man. Well, well, we've done it again. <laughs> done it again. Another really great one in the books. In the books. I should probably. We never we got kicked to... off. No, we didn't. We're still recording. We need so. to go through and make a list of our specific dibs, people. <laughs> yeah. Um. Because I feel like I, I hear it and I'm like, got it, dibs. Yep, totally understand. Forget. <laughs> yeah. So I come across one. I'm like, oh, so cool. I to tell you like, this story. I was like halfway through this research, and then I have. I was like, wait, wait, have we done this lady already? And I was like, I don't remember talking about a spy with a wooden leg, but she's so no, she cool. Was, How is it possible that we haven't done this lady yet? Yeah, she was on my list. Um, well done. A good snack. Thanks. Thanks. Um, well, I should probably go and hop yeah, go have to your our, other, our other Skype call. Okay. This was lovely. This was really lovely. Um, have a wonderful evening. I love thanks. you. I love you. Enjoy snuggling that pup. I will. She's still asleep, but more calm now. Good news. And chasing something in your sleep is exhausting. Look at this one. This one over here. Oh, you're so tiny. So tiny. So, so tiny. Fluffy. Hunter came over yesterday and she came out to eat and we were sitting on the couch here and I was like, oh, look, there's a tiny cat. And he was like, I don't want to look at her because it'll freak her out. Because one time he came over Fair. and she was eating and he literally, she was eating in the kitchen and he looked at her. And she stopped eating and puked because she got so scared. <laughs> <laughs> and Hunter was like, cool. I didn't even, like, I looked at her. That's all I did. Too much, my man. Too, too much. much. It's too scary. So. Oh, I have so much to tell Trevor about this call. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, all right. Well, I love you. I love you too. Go get on your call and I will talk to you very soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.